A few weeks ago, I was in a Barnes & Noble bookstore. And they had a display, because I believe it was Banned Books Week, and it said Banned Books, as if it was taboo even to stop and look down at the table. And it had a group of books that you could buy that have been challenged or considered inappropriate over the years. And I would have to say it was a collection of both books that there was a desire to censor from the political left and there were some books that were desired to be censored from the political right. But then as I was looking at the books, I thought of a time where I had a great conversation with one of my students' moms. She grew up in communist Poland. In fact, it was fascinating because she lived through the 80s and the transformation of Poland thanks to Lech Walesa and the Solidarity Movement that freed it from its chains of communism. But what she shared with me was some of the measures the communist government took, especially to suppress and control what information its citizenry was going to see and hear. She talked about remembering her parents listening quietly to the radio down low, and they were listening to Radio Free Europe. Or that often she would see her dad reading from pages of a book, a book that was banned by the communist government. And as I looked at that display of banned books, and I thought about this story of this parent who grew up under communism. And although it was a great marketing gimmick to sell books, I came to the realization that most Americans' cries of censorship is just their American privilege on full display. Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? Fan school. FanSchool is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of FanSchool as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan.school. And imagine what your classroom space will look like on FanSchool. Welcome to your parent-teacher conference, where a 24-7 parent and full-time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. This is Coach Cullen, your host. And I'll admit, this is going to be a controversial issue. You can probably see it from the title. Censorship. Everybody's doing it. And the reality is, we all censor. And I don't care how progressive you are, because it tends to be the more progressive will say, oh no, freedom, freedom for everybody, free for all exchange of ideas. But I'm going to give some evidence and some thought that some of the people who will cry censorship 
for denying a school a certain curriculum or a book censor themselves and actually censor schools themselves. So I hope you take a listen. I know for some of you, you're going to be screaming at me through the speakers. Others may be in full agreement. Some of you might say, you know what, I don't agree with Coach fully, but he makes some valid points. And that's that's what I'm hoping for. The purpose of this podcast is to see views affecting children from both a parent and a teacher's perspective. And I know some teachers are going to listen to this and say, no, you went totally parent perspective. And I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm not. I'm actually bringing you a teacher's perspective, a history teacher's perspective that is in the vast minority. Even in educational circles, there's this herd mentality. Nobody wants to step out and be seen as different. I'm going to step out and be seen as different and talk about censorship from a different point of view. But if you are challenged on this episode, if you would like other people to listen, to get angry with you, hey, that's great. Tell them to go on to Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and type in the Parent Teacher Conference Podcast. It's the picture of the guy with the hat, drinking the coffee, and look for the episode, Censorship. Everybody's doing it. If you saw this on a tweet or on a Facebook post, share it out to your friends. And if you want to continue the conversation, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. P is in parent, T is in teacher, C is in conference, podcast 411, all one word, at gmail.com. And I'm going to say this up front. I have had some interesting conversations on this topic from people who disagree with me, who strongly disagree with me, and they have been good conversations. We found some points of agreement. We left with some disagreement. That's life. But I can tell you the approach not to take with me. I I like the conversational style of approach when we're talking about an issue that we have a disagreement on, rather than, like, I know it's a tactic, so I'll just get it out in the open. The questioning point of view, where you just throw out questions, where you refuse to answer questions authentically that I throw back. We're not in a court of law. You're not a lawyer interrogating me. We're two humans who are in a discussion, in a disagreement, who will probably end the conversation in disagreement. And that's healthy to have. That's a healthy approach. So let's dive into the topic. First, let's look at a definition of censor. This is from Merriam-Webster Online. It says this, a person who supervises conduct and morals. So a censor is a person who supervises conduct and morals. So censorship is the action of supervising conduct and morals. So, in a sense, if you're a parent, you're a censor. In one way or another, you may be more conservative on the censorship you provide for your child, or you may be more progressive, but you censor. Many of you I know who are listening were probably in this situation, if you have kids. My wife and I used to enjoy watching The Blacklist. If you know anything about the show, it's with James Spader, who's a terrific actor. Before a TV show, the killings were pretty graphic. We would only 
watched the show when our young daughters were asleep. It wasn't appropriate for them to see that. I believe it was us being good parents, but it's still censorship. So first thing we have to get out of our heads is that all censorship is bad. There is a form of censorship that is bad that I would be against, but a parent determining what is appropriate for their child is good censorship. But if the government said no one can watch the blacklist because it's too graphic, that's the censorship I think we're all really against. The story I shared in the beginning of the mother of one of my students who grew up in communist Poland where the government was determining what books you could read, what you could listen to over the radio, the information that was being presented on the TV screen, in the newspapers. That's the censorship we are opposed to, I would think. I think we should all be in agreement on that, aren't we? And that was the farce of the display. Like I said, it was a great marketing gimmick because everybody cries out censorship and banned books, and there was a banned books week. But the fact that those books that are quote-unquote banned are on full display in a store, that you can go up, grab one of those books, purchase it, and you don't have to worry that that night you won't hear, open up, you have illegal contraband in your house. And the contraband is that book you just bought. The fact that sounds ludicrous in America in the 21st century makes my point. And if you say to me, No, but coach, it's a slippery slope. If we don't stop it here, it'll eventually get to that point. Well, if you're not voicing your concern that agencies of the federal government reached out to social media sites to censor information on the Hunter Biden laptop, I mean, they even censored the New York Post's Twitter account on this issue. If you haven't followed it, look up the Twitter files. They've released all these emails between Twitter and government agencies on certain issues. That's the censorship we all fear. And if you're not speaking out against that, then don't speak out against some parent who doesn't want a certain book in your school library. For me, Missing a book in a school library is less of a concern than missing a news story that the government doesn't want out to the public. For years, people have said, if this TV show is too graphic, if this magazine is too sexualized, or this music is both graphic in violence and graphic in sexualization, then don't listen to it. Change the channel. And a parent can do that, but they can't do it in a school. You know, one point I made in one of my discussions about this issue is that I would agree a public library should have a wider range of topics that people could agree or disagree with. The reason being that if you're a parent and you're truly concerned with the books your child is taking out of the public library, you can, you can go to the library with them. But you can't do that in a school library. And you can't do that with a school curriculum. Your child is a captive audience there. And I'm about to give you a little civics lesson right now. 
the more popular view is this. When a group of parents come together and they go to their school board and they question the inclusion of certain books, they challenge books of being in the school library or they challenge the school curriculum and they want the school board to eliminate those books in that curriculum, that that is the government imposing censorship on the teachers and the librarian. But here's the dirty little secret. The parents going to their duly elected school board and challenging these things actually represents democracy. The government, what represents the government are the teachers who are planning out the curriculum that they're questioning. The government are the librarians selecting what books will and will not be in that school's library. If you're a school employee, you may disagree with me on every other point I make in this episode. But if you believe that your fight to allow books and certain curriculum over parent concerns represents democracy, you're wrong. You represent the government. In fact, you represent an unelected government bureaucrat. The parents who are complaining, asking their representatives that they voted in to change things, that's democracy. Because of the citizenry, the populace, disagree with those changes, they can vote out the school board. That's democracy. That's democracy in action. And you could stamp your feet all you want. You could yell at your TV screen when you see another group of parents going in front of a school board challenging library books. You can cry censorship and how that's not democracy, but you're wrong. That is democracy. You're the government bureaucrat. I'm a government bureaucrat. One of my best friends and I had this conversation. And a week or two later, he ran into a friend who just happened to be a retired, a recently retired school librarian. So he presented this point of view. He said, you know, my friend Kevin says, the parents are complaining about certain books. They're democracy. You as a school librarian, you're the unelected government bureaucrat. What do you think about that? And he said, the woman thought for a second and said, your friend is right. As the school librarian, I have a lot of say in what books go into the library and what books never make it to the shelf. The reality is this. The person in a public school that is most guilty of censorship is the school librarian. Now, you need to remember that I'm, I'm not coming from a stance that all censorship is wrong. So for me, I don't have a problem with a school librarian being empowered to make those decisions. But there are people who, who say they believe that censorship in an absolute sense is always wrong. And that truth about the librarian being the person most guilty of censorship in a public school works against the idea that censorship in every situation is always wrong. Because then you have to admit the librarian is always wrong. And librarians aren't always wrong. I believe most librarians look at current trends. They see which books are winning the Newbery Award, which is for, which are for young readers. 
and they try to stock their libraries with books they believe will be of interest to the whole population of the school. I don't believe they're up to anything. At the same time, if a parent challenges a book that is in the library, the response shouldn't be, but the librarian is the expert. You have to allow the expert to make those decisions. That's a logical fallacy called the appeal to authority. And to put it simply, what you're saying is that the librarian is infallible. They can never be wrong. And that's wrong. So I know a lot of people think that's a great argument. Hey, the librarian's the expert. But really, it's a very weak argument. I'm going to tell you the other argument I always hear that I think is a very weak argument. When people hear parents are complaining about books in a library or curriculum and its sexual content, somebody will say, they're going to learn it anyhow. I remember sitting on the stage with a group of my friends the morning before our 8th grade graduation. They had a huge school assembly where they honored the 8th graders and they gave out mock awards. And before it started, as the class were filing in, I noticed my buddies were all reading this paperback book that was pretty raggedy from people opening and closing it. It was well read. And the book was Forever by Judy Bloom. And that was the first time I saw a children's book that was pretty sexually explicit. So yeah, people are going to find out anyhow. And that book was not in the school library. The kid got it from a girl he knew who got it from her older sister. That's how he got the copy of the book. But it, just because kids are going to find out about it doesn't justify schools teaching about it or having a book about it in their library. It's like the old smoking areas in high schools. I don't know if your school still has that. But back in the 80s, that was popular. Well, the kids are going to smoke anyhow. Might as well have a place for them to smoke so they're not doing it in the bathrooms. So you're encouraging a habit that you've been teaching kids all throughout grade school is not healthy. In fact, most students were under 18 and couldn't legally buy a pack of cigarettes. Some parents do lock down a lot of topics. That's their prerogative. It's their child. It's not yours. I mean, like I think I've told you in the past, my children don't have social media. She has no clue if she's being bullied online or not. And if she is, obviously it's not affecting her because she doesn't know. And for those of you who are saying, well, they can just go on the internet and find out all this stuff. Well, one, some parents don't allow their child to have devices. The only device that connects to the internet for some children are the devices they use at school. And when they're at school, they can't just go anywhere they want. You know why? Because there are internet blocks on many sites to prevent them from getting to places that may be age inappropriate. You know, I have never heard anyone in education stand up to our IT guy, who's a great guy, and say, how dare you have a web filter on our internet. That is censorship. What are you, a commie? You don't hear that argument. So to say 
that it's okay for the IT guy, again, just like anybody else that works in a school, an unelected government bureaucrat deciding which websites a kid can and can't go to, and you're okay with that, so why isn't it okay for the parents, in a sense, to be filters? So I hope you realize that in a school setting, you have several government bureaucrats that censor the teacher in the classroom. They determine how the curriculum is going to be taught. The librarian choosing which books are or are not going to be on library shelves. The IT guy, because he sets up the net filter. And even if a teacher asks for a specific site to be taken down so they can use it that they say it is age appropriate, there goes back the censorship deciding which site you can and can't see. The director, director of curriculum is a censor. They're deciding what your child will and will not learn. So we have censorship. And again, I'm not saying that any of this censorship is bad in itself. But often when people cry that censorship, it's really not about censorship. What it is, is the demonization of somebody who has a different point of view of what is age appropriate. And sadly, often, the demonization is to parents who were providing a service for, for the betterment of their children. Let me say that again. When people cry censorship from a school setting, often it's not about censorship because we all do it. It's about demonizing parents who have a difference of opinion on what is age appropriate. Now, you may have seen this in the news. Within the last year or two, a parent went to a school board meeting in Florida and they started to read from a graphic novel called Gender Queer. And the school board president ordered the microphone to be cut off because what the parent was reading was too vulgar. The meeting was being streamed and there could be children listening. And what the parent was saying was not age appropriate for some children. But that was the point the parent was trying to make, that that book was on the shelves of their library. And if anything, the board president helped to make the parent's point. What is this book doing in our library? Now, if you were to say, well, that book represents a portion of the population in a school and a portion of the parents want books like that for their children in school, and we don't want to be accused of censorship, so we need to allow that book to be in school. So if that's where you're coming from on this issue, let me ask you this. There's a guy named Matt Walsh, and some of you already know where this may be going. He wrote a children's book called Johnny the Walrus. And it's an allegory about gender identity. And it's written from the total opposite perspective as genderqueer. So let's say Mr. Walsh or the company he works for, which is a conservative outlet called The Daily Wire, they spend the money and send a free copy of Johnny the Walrus to every public elementary school in the country. Should a school librarian allow it on their shelves? And if they don't allow it on their shelves, 
Why isn't that censorship? Now, I'll give you an argument. Why don't you just say, because the book really isn't written for elementary school kids. It's to give adults who disagree with a certain ideology a laugh. Okay, but how about books that were written more on an academic level that are questioning the ideology brought up in Gender Queer, such as Abigail Shire's Irreversible Damage or The End of Gender by Dr. Deborah So. Would you allow those books in your school library if you allow a book like Gender Queer? You know, public schools are all about promoting diversity. Well, here's diversity of thought. Why aren't you allowing books that question current thoughts about gender identity? Now, if you're saying because it could be harmful, hurtful, it's not safe or offensive to those who are proponents of these views of gender identity who have embraced these views, really, that's just the same argument that parents who are questioning the inclusion of books like Gender Queer are using, right? What they're saying is, well, from the other perspective, we believe those type of books are harmful, offensive, not safe, and hurtful. If the argument is, well, if a parent wants their child to read a book like The End of Gender or Irreversible Damage, they can go to Barnes & Noble and pick it up and buy it. Okay, so can the parent with Gender Queer. So again, it defeats your argument about censorship. And that's my whole point, isn't it? Is that there is no censorship. If you want the book, go to the stupid bookstore and buy it yourself. Go to Amazon, go to eBay. You have to get, probably get some of these books either side used for a few bucks. It's actually another horrible argument that I've heard. Well, if we don't provide these books, kids won't have access to them. We have things in America called bookstores where the government hasn't shut down. That You can actually have open displays saying, ban books. The arguments in the 21st century for the needs of library are not what they were even 50 years ago. I can do a whole episode on this. The library was the point of access for many of us to read books. Is how we got copies of the books. But because we don't have to travel to a bookstore anymore, we can go behind our computer and order from Amazon or order a used copy from eBay. It just doesn't match the reality anymore. Where people who grew up in my generation were asking their parents in middle school if they can drop them off at the library to do research for a project or a paper that they're writing. My children have never asked to go to the library for that purpose. They don't need to. They have a computer. Really what the whole censorship talk is all about for me is a turf war. It's a turf war between parents and teachers. And that's not helpful at all for kids. Now, like I always said, the purpose of this podcast is trying to bring the two sides together. And I'm going to end with a possible solution. Is it the solution? No, it's probably not going to be perfect. And it will require compromise. And even if you're angry with me, 
for some of the points I brought up today. I hope you stuck out this far. I hope you won't demonize me. And to let you know, parents, there are teachers in your kid's school that share my point of view. We're afraid to come forward. That's that's what is beyond belief about this talk of censorship. We can't even express our opinions like this. Like I don't know what's going to happen to me when people will, will my school district come after me because I used my First Amendment right to question some things here. And the people who want to cancel others for sharing differing points of view or call them hateful. Many of them are the first to cry censorship whenever their views are questioned. Freedom of speech is freedom of speech for all. First, let's redefine terms. We're not talking about censorship. What we're really talking about is a limiting principle. What is the limiting principle that we're going to go by in a school? And I believe that each community should have its own limiting principle. It shouldn't be up to states or the federal government. It should be up to the local community to determine what their standards are going to be. And you do that through the democratic process. So what's a limiting principle? We all go by it, right? Even when I brought up the two books, ones that are pro-gender identity, ones who, who are questioning it. The reasons why some books will get on the shelves and some books are, won't is because of the limiting principle of the person in charge, typically the school librarian. So what is the limiting principle for the appropriateness for a school setting? I'll give you another topic that I think actually better makes the point. Dress codes at school. Nobody believes in no dress code. Nobody wants teachers and students walking down the halls in their underwear. Some people's dress code is more conservative. Some are more progressive. But we all have a dress code in our head. The community needs to come together and determine what how far does that limit go? Where are we going to draw the line? And then we have to stick to it. Do we allow, like, a big argument right now is, because midriffs are back for girls, right? In my, the school district my daughters go to, in middle school, you can't wear a midriff. In high school, you can. If you're in middle school and you come to school with your sister's midriff on, who's in high school, they will give you a shirt to throw over the top of it, or they'll call home for you to get a shirt to put over the top of it. Now, some parents might call up and say, how dare you take away my child's freedom of expression to wear a midriff? Okay, you know what? You don't agree with it? Go to your school board and have them change it. And if they won't change it, start a petition and start a driver. Run for the school board yourself and get it changed if the dress code is that concerning to you. Because if there isn't a limit, what you're basically telling people is the person with the most liberalized view is the most correct view. And then where do you stop? We have to remember, a public school represents the community. If you don't agree with the limiting principles, you have two options. One, start a campaign and either get yourself or like-minded people to run for the school board and change those limiting principles. If you find that the community is not supportive of your changes to the limiting principles, maybe you should move.
And when I say this, I don't mean that you're concerned that the limiting principles are too conservative and it's wrong for other people's children. What I'm saying is that you truly believe that the limiting principles are bad for your child. It shouldn't be about dictating what should be taught to other people's children. Again, if there's a book that isn't in your school library because it got challenged and you want your kid to read it, go buy the book at Amazon. I'm sure it's there. But that's that's democracy in action. Either going to your elected representatives, campaigning against your elected representatives, and even moving, because that was the concept of the Founding Fathers. They thought that each state were going to be laboratories of democracy, and people were going to vote with their feet. If they liked what was going on, they would move to a state where the, it was more conducive to what how they viewed life should be, and they would leave states that weren't. And the same thing can happen in towns. Now, so far, I've been addressing people have more liberal, probably even more, I wouldn't say liberal, more progressive viewpoints. Now I'm going to talk to the conservatives. In Florida right now, what I, I'm hearing in Florida, they, as you know, there are bills passed that any parent can challenge any book. So what some parents are doing, and they're real jerks for doing this, they're challenging every book. And why are they challenging every book? Because when a challenge is presented, the school must immediately pull that book from the shelves to review it. If there was a challenge submitted and that book is still on the shelf before a determination one way or another has been made, the school can get heavily fined. I think I think even like librarians, I think the staff can get fined for it. So people are challenging everything to overburden the system. That's really showing no care for the time you're wasting people's time. They're, you're wasting their time when they can have an effect on your child in a positive way. Challenge a book if you want to challenge a book, but don't challenge them all to make a point or to deplete a library of its books. No matter where you are in the political spectrum, here's the reality. A public school will not present only your ideology, and it shouldn't. If a public school is only presenting a progressive ideology or conservative ideology, it's wrong. It's supposed to represent the ideology of the community as a whole. And the fact that that community is going to have diverse ideology. Schools talk about diversity all the time, but they always deal with external factors like skin color. But the most diversity comes from ideology and belief. And we need to understand that. You're not going to get your way at all times in a public school. Both sides need to learn to compromise. And what that compromise means is there are going to be some books on the shelves that conservatives are going to be in disagreement with. I know in the early 90s, a book came out called Heather Has Two Mommies. And it's just it was a simple book about a young girl named Heather who had two mothers. 
People are outraged. Should that book be in a public school library? Well, the reality is there are kids like Heather coming into your schools. It's really not about ideology anymore. It's about reality. If, if you are so offended by books like that being on the shelves, if you believe it's not good for your child, then you have other options. You can homeschool. You can send your child to a private school, a religious school. Those are options you have. But you need to be understanding that a public school is not going to show life from only your perspective. Now, I've shared with you, I, politically, I tend to be conservative. I am a Christian. I'm a practicing Christian. I go to church. I think praying and Bible study. I believe the whole thing about Jesus rising from the dead. I believe it all. But I understand that I'm not sending my kid to school for religious instruction. If I want that, and I could, there, there is a Christian school not far from my house. If I want that for my children specifically, I can send them there. I understand that when my kids go into a public school, they are going to be introduced to ideologies and beliefs that are different than what we're teaching at home. And we can talk about it at home. That's the great thing about America. We still have freedom of speech. We still have freedom of religion. And I can still teach my children according to the precepts of my faith. However, what's true for one side has to be true for the other as well. We can't just always tell the conservative or the more religious-minded folk, and it doesn't have to be Christianity, it could be Judaism, Islam, etc. We can't always tell them, well, if you don't like it, there are private schools, there's homeschooling. Because guess what? The same needs to be said to you. If it's not progressive enough for you, if the public schools are not progressive enough, maybe you should start thinking about homeschooling your child or finding a private school that better reflects your beliefs or is more focused and intentional on that on your beliefs. And like I said earlier, there are a lot of teachers in your kids' school today that share my viewpoint. We just want to teach our content. We're not out to have your kids question what you're teaching them at home. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe there are teachers who believe it's their, I want to say moral, but I want to say more their sacred duty to have children question what parents are teaching at home because they believe what you're teaching your own children is anathema and they need to enlighten your child. But they're in the minority. Even teachers who are disagreeing with me right now or in any of my views about books in a school library, I believe most of them are doing it for the best of intentions. They just want to be open to all their students. They understand that in a public school, there is going to be a diversity of ideology, of moral thought, of religious thought, etc. I'm going to end the episode like this. If public schools are going to do what is best for children, we cannot listen to the voices of the radical extreme. But we should be tuning in to the voices of the rational middle. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends, 
They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. Remember, a good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply. <laughs>